Let us pray. Illumine our hearts and our minds, O God, to be receptive to your words for us and with us this day. May we be attuned to your spirit in our midst. May we walk with you side by side. When we face moments of scarcity, may we remember that you are a God of abundance. And may we run to you in the hopes and the expectations that you shall be our deliverance. For we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. For Abel, as we hear God's word for us this morning, I'll actually stop in verse 15. Verse 15. After this, that is to say a series of teachings and miracles, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up, he saw a large crowd coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said these things to test him, for he knew himself what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one of them to get a little One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in that place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fist, as much as they wanted. And when they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw that the sign, had, that the sign he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Friends, these are the words of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Fix our eyes, God. Fix our eyes so that we see the things that you see. Help us to not be surprised when you act the way that you do. Because you are God. And God, we have, or we should have at least grown somewhat accustomed to you doing the very thing we thought could never be done. in our lives, in our communities, in our world. You are the author of all that is good. Help us, O God, to stay with you. 
Help us to answer the question when your tests come to us the way that you would have us to answer them. To answer in an attitude of faith. Place the cross before me, let none see me but you and your grace alone. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, today we get to go on a very special journey. It's a journey with a crowd of people who came to a mountainside to sit with Jesus. Isn't that a blessing to be able to do after a long, busy week? To be able to come and to sit with Jesus? And to hear once again this very familiar story, the feeding of the 5,000. John's Gospel tells us that this crowd that we have journeyed with today are a group of people who have come to this mountain because they had already seen the signs that Jesus had done for the sick. In John's Gospel, we see that this message of, or this, uh, this telling of Jesus feeding the 5,000 comes in a long set of signs and wonders. In John chapter 5, we see Jesus hanging out with a Samaritan woman at a well. In John chapter 5, we see an official coming to Jesus and telling Jesus that his son had grown very sick and Jesus healing this child. In John chapter 5, we see an invalid who had been lying next to this pool in Bethesda for a very, very long time and saying, every time the waters were stirred, no one helped me in. They all jumped in front of me and we find Jesus healing the invalid. And now, Jesus has built for himself a little bit of reputation. That if you hang out with this guy, you might see something cool. So everyone follows Jesus at this point, asking the question, who is he? And what will he do next? They came to experience, to witness to a miracle. The crowd that gathered didn't know that they would become a part of that miracle. You see, so this crowd, they had journeyed with Jesus into this mountainside. They are all gathered around. I think it's really interesting how... Um, there's not enough food to go around, but John wants us all to know there's plenty of grass for everyone to sit down on. Suggesting that sometimes that at our tables, we may not think that there's enough, but there are always capacity to find more seats. So time had passed by, they had gone some distance into the wilderness, and as any of us would, some of us will here in a little while, our stomachs will start grumbling and we'll start wondering when is Cameron going to stop talking and start letting us eat. But here's the problem. There is no El Ranchito to run to. You are in the middle of the wilderness. There are no local eateries. 
And there are 5,000 people starving. Jesus looks out, and interestingly, Jesus initiates the question to Philip. Where will we go and find bread to feed all of these people? What an interesting question for Jesus to ask. You see, I find that it's interesting because these are the kinds of questions that the disciples would ask, not Jesus. These are, to, to use perhaps not the best term, these are dumb questions. And as disciples, we are good at asking the dumb question. We are standing here with God in flesh. We should be the ones asking, where are we going to go buy bread? But then we read on. Jesus is asking the question to test Philip. To see if Philip might have an answer. I wonder what it was that Jesus was trying to test Philip with. What response did Jesus want Philip to say? Perhaps to find that answer we might do well. Turning to other stories about scarcity and how God deals with it. Perhaps we might turn to the First Testament, we call it the Old Testament, particularly during the time of the prophet Elisha, to give us some insight as to what it is that Jesus might be trying to pry out of Philip with such a question. Where will we go and find enough bread for all these people to eat? Just like in John's Gospel, we find, uh, I'll, I'll get to that one in a second, just like in John's Gospel, we find that, uh, that has a series of signs and wonders linked together. So too can we look to 2 Kings with a prophet by the name of Elisha. A lot of people don't know about Elisha. Most of us know more about a guy named Elijah, right? But there was a prophet by the name of Elisha. And Elisha was a man of God. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, if you have time, I, I would highly recommend you checking it out. In 2 Kings chapter 4, much like John 5 through 6, it's a story that links together several miracles in a row. These stories are done through the prophet Elisha. Right from the very beginning, we find our first scarcity story. It's the story that I told to the little kids here today. It's a woman, a widow. She doesn't have anyone to take care of her. She doesn't have any means for financial stability. She has debt that she has to pay. And the collector comes one day and the collector says, time to pay up. And the woman says, I have nothing. And he says, but you have children. I'll take them and they can become my debt slaves. Imagine your child being ripped from you to pay a debt that you can't pay. So this woman goes to the prophet Elisha, and Elisha says to her, well, what do you have? And she says, I only have a jar of oil. And you know how the story goes. She goes to her friends, she gets the jars, and somehow this one jar becomes multiple, multiple, multiple jars. And during this time, oil was a very 
expensive commodity, she was able to take those jars and sell it and to provide for her family. She only had one jar, but somehow through the prophet's hands, it became enough. Sometime after this story, still in the same chapter, we find that Elisha has found himself with all of his other prophet buddies in the midst of a severe famine. Everyone is hungry. Everyone is starving. So some of the prophets, they go out and they find some herbs of the fields and they try to make this stew with it. And it's the worst tasting thing that you've ever tasted. So bad they can't even ingest it. Here's food that's on the table. We're starving, but we can't eat it. And the only response that someone could possibly say to us about how nasty this thing is, is they say, there is death in this pot. That's how bad it is. Imagine cooking your worst meal and someone responding to you, oh, this tastes like something died in it. We can't eat. We're going to continue to starve. And what's Elisha do? Elisha says, hold on. Even that death pot can be salvaged with God. He adds a little flour to it, mixes it up, and it becomes deliciously sweet to eat. Then we come to another story, and it's the reason why I chose Second Kings, because there's another feeding story that many of us are not familiar with. It's a story in Second Kings. This famine is still raging. Elisha himself is not privileged because he is a prophet of God to, to not be hungry. He, too, is starving. But he's a prophet, so we find this man, and this is coming from a passage that we'll have on the screen. We find this gentleman. He comes from Baal Shalash, and he brings from him the first fruits of the harvest. He's, he's submitting his tithe to Elisha. Now, mind you, we are in a severe famine, all right? This would be a very good stewardship sermon. A severe famine, you all know when you check your bank account and you go, I'm in a severe famine right now, right? I need to consume this for me. Severe famine. But what does he do? He takes his first fruits and he gives it to the prophet. And as the prophet, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to eat it. So this guy, first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread. He takes it to the prophet. And if we find in uh, the 43rd verse, but his servant said, actually starting in uh, verse uh, where it says, give it to the people and let them eat. This is Elisha's response. Give it to all the other people and let them eat of it. But his servant said, how could I possibly set this before a hundred people? I only have 20 loaves. Now, these loaves, mind you, these are not French baguettes that you get from like Kroger or something, okay? These are not those giant things. These 20 loaves would be the size of like a bagel. 20 sitting in front of a hundred people. 
And this guy is saying, how on earth could I even give myself any respect for setting what I have before these hundred people, knowing it's not enough to feed them? How could I possibly do that? And what's Elisha respond to him saying? Give it to the people and let them eat. And they shall eat, thus says the Lord. They shall eat and they shall have some left. And he said it before them. And they ate. And they had some left according to the word of the Lord. Now fast forward to our story today. Here's Jesus finding himself in a very similar situation. There is a crowd, not of a hundred, but of 5,000. And he doesn't have 20 loaves. He only has five loaves and two fish. And now he wants to ask his disciple, the very person that's been with him the entire time, the dumb question. Where will we go to find the bread? How are you going to respond, Philip? All of us are Philip. How are you going to respond? Jesus is begging Philip, look out there. Here are the people, Philip. They're hungry, Philip. What are we going to do? Perhaps if Jesus really is God, then what Jesus is trying to get Philip to ask is, Philip, here are the people. Not only are what are we going to do, but what has God done in the past? And how might that influence us in the present? You see, John's gospel is the gospel that separates itself from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John's gospel, he has one intention. He wants the readers to understand that Jesus... The one on the mountain is indeed God. He is a continuation, the summation of everything before. So if the people are hungry, Philip, what is God going to do? He's going to feed them. So Philip, what should you do? Get in on the action. Don't stand in awe when God does these miracles. Don't be surprised that God is doing something in front of you because God has always been in the business of doing these things. If the people are hungry, what should we do, Philip? That's the dumb question. Everybody knows the answer. Feed them. Feed them. Now, I want to say this before I close. There's a huge difference between a miracle and a magic trick. As a church, we must learn to separate Jesus from David Blaine, from Harry Houdini, or from any other magician. You see, in magic, the person always leads you to the trick. The trick is the final thing. But in miracles, the miracle is always intended to lead you to the person. 
You see, Jesus feeds the 5,000 not just because they're hungry, but because he wants to reveal something about himself. You see, as people of God, we do a very good job of feeding people, right? Our church does a good job of feeding people. But let us not be magicians to where the feeding becomes the great trick that everybody sees. Instead, let us be like Jesus and be in the business of miracles to where through the feeding the person is proclaimed. Sometimes we might come a little short. We feed, but we never get to what happens actually at the end of this story. Everyone is fed, but Jesus still has something left to say. And what Jesus wants to say is this. Do you remember that miracle when I fed you all with bread? I have something to tell you. I am the bread of heaven. The miracle links us to a person and the person must always be Jesus. You see, we may find times in our lives where we ourselves are hungry, we ourselves are thirsty. But stories like this, stories like Second Kings, stories like Moses in the wilderness when God fed them with the quail and the manna, stories like this remind us that there are times in our lives where we may be hungry, we may be thirsty, but we worship a God who promises us that we will never be without help. that we follow a God who always says, fill up, there's some hungry people. Fill up, there's some thirsty people. Cameron, there's some people that need to know that they are more than what they're telling themselves. So don't stick to your song, let Samantha pick. That's the kind of God we worship. So we're all Philip. Who's your crowd? What miracle do they need to see? And how will you tie that in to the introduction of the person in their life? I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.